Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Few countries can compete with Indonesia for its diversity of terrain, flora, and fauna that thrive on soaring volcanoes, sandy beaches, humid jungles, and everything in between. Today, we're going to chat with travel journalist and fellow of the Royal Geographic Society, Mark Evely, about what Indonesia has to offer those in search of wildlife and how to best approach this sort of trip. In Bangkok, Thailand, I'm Scott Coates, and with me as always is... Hey, Scott, Trevor Ranges in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Yeah, Mark was such an interesting guy to talk to and uh, very inspirational sharing a Google map of all of these amazing destinations to explore throughout Indonesia. Uh, we had to have him back on just to talk about wildlife because we didn't even touch on that. Yeah, he mentioned a few things, but we really got inspired by his book, Kopidulu, and thought, you know what? Uh, he's such a good source and he was willing to share his uh, information with us in more time. So why not have him on the show again? Before we get into it on this one, do remember, patrons, actually the idea for this episode came from a patron. She said to us, hey, could you do something on a wildlife trip in Indonesia? because I'm looking to do that kind of trip. So patrons are people that sponsor the show from as little as a dollar or so a month upwards. They help us cover the costs and keep it going. And then we'll do show episodes for you. So become a patron, hit donate on the page. Trevor, what are you looking forward to on this episode? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I would say something unexpected, but like I've traveled a bit around Indonesia and uh, Malaysian Borneo and there's such a crazy diversity of uh, species and wildlife, uh, both above and below the water, that uh, I know he's going to come up with some crazy things that we've never heard of before. At the same time, I hope that we get some practical tips and places um, for you know our listeners who might want to plan a trip to Indonesia. Uh, he just has so much insight and such a breadth of knowledge about the country that uh, I think we're going to get both surprises and practical tips. So uh, I'm excited to have him on. Yeah, well, let's do it. Let's bring Mark in. Our guest, Englishman Mark Evely, was first on our show in very late 2022, and we just had to have him back to share more about Indonesia, as he has such a rich history and knowledge of the area, particularly with the release of his book about the country, Kopidulu. Mark's been a travel writer for more than 25 years and has pretty much done it all in my books. He's authored 12 books, more than 850 full-length travel features for more than 120 publications, including Esquire, Sports. Sports Illustrated, National Geographic, to name just a few. And he's covered travel in more than 70 countries around the world. He's joining us again online from South Africa. Hey there, Mark. Hi, great to be back. Thank you for having me back again. Yeah, indeed. Thanks for making time for us. We must have done something semi-right. And there's just so darn much to talk about from your book. We could probably do 10 of these uh, talking about aspects of Kopidula. But today we're going to really try and focus on a specific type of travel. One, you know, focused around trips to see and experience 
wildlife. But before we get into that, Mark, for those that maybe missed that first episode, you they can go back and listen to it. Where are you originally from? How did you get into the travel writing business and living in Asia? Okay, so I'm, uh, I'm originally, I was born in England. I grew up, was uh, partly raised in West Africa, in Ghana and Nigeria, and went back to England again. Um, now for the last uh, 25 years, I've been living out of England. Originally, I lived in, I was based in Spain for about 16 years, um, but almost all the time traveling for like six months of the year on assignments for magazines and, and newspapers. Um, and then I went to to Borneo on an expedition uh, that I led an expedition sponsored by Heineken in 1996 and wrote a book about that. And that, um, that helped to get me into, not only helped to get me into magazines, get me published, but also was the beginning of my love for Indonesia. Terrible sounding life. <laughs> I recommend people go back and listen to uh, the first episode we had you on number 162 because uh, you know, such a big country and, and you're having spent so many years there and explored so much of it. Like we barely scratched the surface and like we, we didn't really mention anything about experiencing wildlife. So we had to have you back on for this and we didn't even really talk about like diving or surfing. So maybe that's going to be your, your next episode, but let's stick to wildlife and, and just in a nutshell, why is Indonesia such a great destination for people who want to experience wildlife? Yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, one of the big aspects of the, the book, one of the things that I enjoyed most, actually, when I was chasing magazine stories and newspapers and uh, stories in Indonesia were always the, the wildlife stories that I got to do. And I, I spend a lot of time traveling on wildlife assignments in Africa as well. So it's one of the things that really motivates me. I'm certainly not a naturalist or, um, or an expert on any of these things. So if I get any terminology wrong, you guys are going to have to bear with me. But I do love that side of life. And one of the, you know, it's really helped that I've been able to connect with some um, very well-known and uh, very successful naturalists and scientists in, in Indonesia and local people as well. And it's their expert knowledge that um, has helped me with the book. Um, so that's where most of that information came through. Um, now, Indonesia is just, it's just amazing for wildlife. Um, you know, it's the second most biodiverse country in the world after Brazil. Um, obviously, there's plenty of uh, creepy crawlies and, and, and plants and bugs in, in the Amazon. But uh, Indonesia, not many people realize that Indonesia has more mammal species than any other country on Earth. In fact, I think the statistic mm. is that there are a thousand different types of mammals in the whole of Africa. And Indonesia has something like 700. There's so much to see there. Um, it's obviously, wow. it's, it's mostly a jungle where you find the wildlife tends to be jungle. So it's not uh, quite as highly visible as you, as you would get on savanna and savanna areas. But then Indonesia even has its share of savannas. It's such a diverse um, place for anybody who wants to see wildlife. It's a great place to go. And I think completely underrated. So what are some of the big key wildlife that one might dream about and plan to see on a trip there? Um, obviously, the Sumatran tiger is um, one of the, the, big, uh, the big animals on the wish list. It's very, very hard to see in the wild. Um, Commodore dragons is something that, that definitely draws people. And if you go to the Commodore Islands, right. I mean, it's a guarantee you are going to see dragons. There are just so many of them there. And it really is one of the iconic species, one of the, the iconic species in the world, really. People who travel in Komodo, their first reaction sometimes is that they see some of the dragons around 
around the ranger stations where they they'll go and they'll they'll try to scrounge from the ranger kitchens and stuff like that and they, they they you know people will often think they're just big fat lizards but these are incredible super super predators very very easy to underestimate and the more that i researched about commodore dragons the more carried away and the more amazed, amazed i was with them you know they they're the dragons where the old legends and the on the maps, you know, here here be dragons and the fire breathing. Even the fire breathing, people believe. Some people hypothesize that the tongue flicking out of a Commodore dragon's mouth appeared to be flames to uh, to early yeah. Chinese seagoers, and uh -huh. so you get the 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 legend of the dragons. Sometimes reality is actually stranger than than myth. And when I first went to Commodore, there was the old story that I think, you know, probably everybody's heard by now that um, there were 50 types of bacteria and that was what essentially would kill the, the prey. When I, when I first went there, that was the story I was, re I was reporting along with absolutely everybody else. It, it was accepted as truth. By the time I went back and I think it was 2013 on a story for BBC Wildlife, that had entirely changed and the Commodore Dragon had been reclassified as the world's biggest venomous reptile it actually actually has venom ducts in it in the, in its fangs oh. which a lot of people still don't realize and that's a powerful place to trek in the commodore islands and indonesia also has orangutans and primates and stuff like that too right yeah uh, yeah of course um gunung losa losa in um, sumatra is a great place to see orangutans you have sumatran orangutans and then on borneo you have the borneo orangutan and Tanjung Puting National Park is a great place to see those also. Tanjung Puting has um, orangutans, but also a lot of other primates. Uh, that's where you see the proboscis monkeys as well, which are the monkeys with the big uh, fat bulbous noses. It's quite funny actually, in, in Indonesian, they're known as uh, monyet balanda, which basically means uh, Dutch monkey. I think that they thought it looks like, the, it used to look <laughs> like a Dutchman's nose. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, again, like we're we're just talking about animals above ground. Like if we're talking about wildlife, there's also like whales and sharks and all sorts of scuba underworld like amazement as well in Indonesia. God, I don't even know where where to begin. Like if you what island? I know like that strait between Bali and Lombok is one of the most like biodiverse marine ecosystems in the world. But is there any particular place in? Indonesia that would be like your best go-to place to see like the most craziest different things all in one trip for diving yeah the area you you're saying is um you you have that's the Wallace line actually the Wallace line um, which is the line dividing the biodiversity of the east and west that falls between Bali and Lombok and you have great manta spotting there for example in that area yeah um like the the big the huge diving um spots Probably Chen Chendrawasi Bay off the top of Papua is hard to beat. There's, um, they say there's 200 different species of fish, 150 species of coral. It's one of the best places to spot whale sharks. And for reasons apparently that no marine bi biologists have been able to figure out, they never seem to migrate away from there. So there are, there are whale sharks there all the time. Um, and then you have Commodore is, yeah, it's famous for the dragons, but the channels, channels that rip through there with the tides pulls up so much nutrients that that's an incredible place for, for watching sharks, um, turtles. There's a place there called Manta Ali where I've snorkeled. That's, that's unbelievable because you, you basically jump off a boat 
and there's almost a conveyor belt that sucks you down through the channel. And as you're going, there will be 10, 12, 15 huge manta rays kind of floating past you. You know, they look like, like spaceships underwater. Commodore is, is a wonderful area for that. And then there's Wakatobi National Park, which uh, a lot of people don't know, but that's um, Jacques Cousteau said that that was an absolute underworld, underwater nirvana. It was one of the best places in the world to dive. I think there are about 120 islands just in the Wakatobi archipelago. Sounds fantastic. Uh, I have a specific question about a particular national park, and there's obviously tons of them, but in Kopidulu, your book, you mentioned going to, I'm, I'm going to butcher it here probably, Karinsi Sablat National Park with apparently tons of tigers. Is is that somewhere that if people have to pick just a couple spots, should they be thinking about there for wildlife? Yeah, if you want to go jungle trekking with a, a good chance of seeing uh, amazing wildlife, Karinsi National Park, Karinsi Sablat National Park is definitely hard to beat. Um, it's It's quite remote and it's fairly hard to get to, but there are some operators working around there and it is possible to set up a, a jungle trek there. It doesn't necessarily need to be incredibly time consuming. I went, the last time I went, I was only in the jungle for, I think, three days, climbed up to a, a peak called um, Gunung Tuju, which means uh, seven peaks, basically. There's a beautiful crater lake up there. Um, and Karinchi Sablat National Park, people always talk about the amazing size of Kruger National Park, for example. Karinchi Seblat National Park is basically pristine jungle, and it's two-thirds of the size of Kruger, but just covered with mountainous jungle. You get um wow. you get there are more tigers supposedly in that park than than in the whole of Indochina. It's always it be a, bad thing. a little yeah, it's a, and it's a little bit risky to publicize that, you know. Yeah. Um from yeah. a poaching point of view. But they also have fantastic um let, let's make it clear that they have wonderful security in, in that park. And it's def definitely not a, not a very safe place for poachers. You need to take um, jungle camping stuff. I, I always travel with a hammock, with a jungle hammock. Um, but yeah. up there, I, I use the tent. I mean, I don't think there's, there's a, a danger of, of tigers. I'm not even sure if there's been a recorded case of, of tiger attacks. If there were, it was a good few years ago. But I'm still in tiger country. I would rather sleep in a, in a tent for sure. Um, and then you, you get up there, some incredible species. There's tapirs there, there's clouded lepers, sun bears. There's a Sumatran doll, a type of wild dog that I've never seen that I would love to see. They say there's 370 species of, of birds in Karinchi National Park, Karinchi Sebelat National Park. And then and that's before you get to the even less well-known species. There are some incredible legends up there and myths. And one of the one of the one that has really intrigued me for years is the story of the Orang, Peng, Orang Pendek. Orang Pendek basically means the short people. When you speak to inhabitants who live around the edge of Karinchi Seblat National Park, you ask about this short person that's kind of, uh, you know, it's said to be like a like a type of black orangutan. And you, you ask people there and they kind of shrug and they're like, yeah, well, you know, we see them all the time. Tigers are kind of rare, but we see this Orang Pendek all the time. And yet it's a, it's an animal that's unknown to science. Let's not, um, let's not get into a statement of whether this is cryptozoology or zoology, but there are <laughs> experts who say that they believe that there is an unknown species of primate in those mountains that um, very few, few people have ever seen. Although there's a story in my book of, a, of quite a famous Western journalist who claims she has seen it. She has no doubts whatsoever that she saw the Orang Pendek. Who knows? Maybe, um, you know, maybe this. 
maybe my book will be out of date soon and and you know the fact will be well it's not a myth as there is another species in those mountains <laughs> it, it wouldn't be surprising you know because this is some seriously remote area and some serious like dense jungle now i had traveled to sumatra in 1996 and I went up to a place called Bukit Luang, where they had a orangutan rehabilitation center. And it must have been relatively new back then. It was before Leonardo DiCaprio decided to promote it and all that. But I'm curious uh, what that part of Aceh is like nowadays. Like, is it uh, is it really touristy? Can you still get kind of a cool experience up there at, at, at Bukit Luang? Or are there better places to see? orangutan in the wild or it's difficult i know but there they at least release them so i don't know what are your thoughts on all that it's probably probably the easiest place in indonesia i would say to see orangutan um, sumatran orangutan anyway you you have a very very good chance of seeing completely wild orangutans in the jungle near there you would probably have to take three or four days maybe a bit more to go really off the beaten track to be quite sure that you're seeing wild orangutan rather than rehabi rehabituated ones. Um, but Bukit Luang is still a beautiful, a beautiful town and a very, as you know, a very picturesque and, and beautiful place to hang out and a great place to, to trek into the jungle. I think Tanjung Puting is also getting a name as a, as a fantastic place for, for seeing orangutan as well. Um, those are probably the two, the two biggest draw cards for seeing orangutan. Where is the second place and like how long do you need to do this and what is the lodging like in the experience? Tanjung Puting, you need to fly into the southern side of, um, it's in central Kalimantan actually, but it's on, it's on this, let's say it's on the south coast of, uh, of, of Kalimantan. And you, you okay. need to fly in there and you, you stay at jungle camps. Mostly you travel by boat. Hmm. And that's where you would also see the, the proboscis monkeys. There's a lot. There's also clouded leopards and sun bears, and um, even a type of wild cattle known as benteng. There, there's a place that that really stuck in my mind that I would love to go back and explore and to see more of the wildlife side of. Um, a big aspect of my book, as you as you probably realized by now, is um, well, it's Alfred Russell Wallace. So Alfred Russell Wallace is basically pretty much one of my heroes. He wrote the Malay Archipelago, and he was around. Mm -hmm more or less at the same time as, uh, as Darwin, a little bit after Darwin. People like to call Wallace the man who wasn't Darwin. He came up with, he actually <laughs> came up with his own theory of evolution while he was based on a tiny island called Ternate in the Maluku's in Indonesia. He wrote a letter to, to Darwin hypothesizing his theory of evolution. And while he was still off collecting species, Darwin polished the, his theory, his own theory of evolution. Yeah, Darwin actually credited. People like to like to say that there's a you know there was a lot of there was animosity between them. I think they were colleagues at around the same time. Darwin credited um, Wallace with with coming up with the theory at the same time. Wallace spent um, I think it was six six or eight years in Indonesia, off the top of my head, and he traveled something like twenty thousand kilometers around the islands. He came up with the with the Wallace line. The Wallace line was named after him because he realized that the species to the east of the line where you would find a lot more marsupials and australasian types of animals and to the west okay. of the line would be where your monkeys and your deer and um you know west more western species now there's an island called bachan that very few people have heard of and i don't think too many people have even been there 
in the 150 years since Wallace had been there. I'm not saying it hasn't been explored. And I know researchers have been there, but it's very, very untrodden. Um, and Bachan is a little island south of Ternate. It's actually about a third the size of Bali, so it's not that tiny. And Wallace, for Wallace, it was the place of the richest pickings, as far as he was concerned. I think the figure is that he, wow. he found 125,000 specimens that he took back for, for collectors. He, his business, how he made his money actually was collecting specimens. He took 125,000 uh, specimens back. 5,000 of them were new to science. And his richest pickings were on the island where during the six months that he spent on little Bachan Island. And some of the amazing things there, there's um, the world's largest bee. He discovered, apparently he discovered it on the morning he was due to leave. It's, an, it's a bee about the size of a man's thumb. And he said that it had, um, okay. it had huge, uh, huge mandibles like a stag beetle. And this bee, basically, to give you an idea of how unknown and, and little visited Bachan is, this bee then disappeared off the radar as far, far as science was concerned. It was basically declared um, extinct and was only spotted again in 2019, shortly before the pandemic. So that's back on the radar again. And there's a bird of, a bird of paradise on that island that's known as Wallace's standard wing. There's um, probably a lot of wildlife on, the, on that island that um, people don't really know about, or in, as in the case of the largest bee, have forgotten about. And so it would be an amazing place to spend a lot of time. I have a secret plan that one day, I'd, well, not a secret anymore, that I would like to go and spend a, a month or so living on Bachan just to see... You know, I, I managed to travel there very briefly for the book, and I would love to go back. It's one of those places I'd like to return to, mostly for the wildlife. Cool. Well, you know, there's so many exotic creatures. When I, I've been to Malaysian Borneo, and there was like a flying lemur, and I think they had something with green fur or something like that. And, uh, but, you know, a lot of this stuff's really remote and hard to get to. What are maybe a couple of national parks that aren't too hard to get to where you can still have a really cool wildlife experience in Indonesia? There's a part of West Bali that's so underrated that, that uh, people, who, people who make it over there, who take the time to get to the far northwestern side of uh, Bali, it's called the Manjangan area, Manjangan National Park. It's West Bali National Park, actually. And there's, a, there's an island there called Manjangan. And around that area, there are some resorts. And you, people who go there, you know, you can, you can stand there. You just can't believe that you're in Bali. Um, there, are, there are all sorts of wildlife there. There's actually um, hornbill, rhinoceros hornbill up in the mountains. There are Manjangan deer. The place is named after the Manjangan deer. And there are vast herds of they, them there. As you trek along the beaches or even drive around the coast, you'll often see Manjangan deer standing in the, in the water, in the shallows of the, um, of the lagoons. And scientists say that they are actually able to ingest salt water. There's no rivers on, um, on that Prapadagun Peninsula, and the deer actually live, they're able to ingest salt water. Um, and then you have, there's two different types of monkeys. There's a, the normal macaques that you see in many parts of uh, Bali. And then something called the monyet hitam, which is a type of langur, a black langur, which unfortunately is still used in some, sacrificed in some ceremonies in Bali, apparently. And dugongs, they have dugongs there, although I have yet to see one. I've been up to that part of Bali a few times, but I haven't seen a dugong there yet. Yeah, and many, many dolphins. Um, you'll see whale sharks there. Obviously, the the regular, you know, mantas and um, reef sharks and turtles and all of that kind of thing. 
we, we're even forgetting the, the most famous thing there is the Bali starling, which was known as one of the rarest birds in the world. The last time I went there, I think there were 20 wild pears on the Prabat Agun Peninsula. It might have changed by now. It kind of fluctuates in a, in a scary way, but um, these, are, these are beautiful white birds with, with bright blue eyeliner. Well, Mark, I'm going to give you the super tough, almost annoying kind of question that we had on the first episode, but not wildlife focused. So let's say someone has three weeks, they're a wildlife enthusiast, they've got that moderate budget. Where does Mark tell them to go to experience wildlife and how do they do it? With three weeks, I would say you, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong these days. I think the situation has changed a little bit in Commodore, but um, I would head to Commodore Islands um, because what you, you can get the combination there of amazing diving, snorkeling too, because there, there's so much uh, marine life that's, you know, the most colorful stuff actually is within a few meters of the surface. So snorkeling or diving in Commodore. Okay. Then obviously you have the dragons. Um, but even without the, the dragons, that, side, that area is absolutely incredible. There's a, a small island. The local communities are, are interested in Commodore too. And there's, a, there's um, next to Rincha Village, which is definitely worth a visit. Um, a lot of what I wrote about in the book was the, the cultural side and the traditional side of the communities who live with the dragons, which I found particularly fascinating. Now, just next to Rincha Island, there's a, there's a small island called Kalong Island, which is basically Bat Island. And every evening, or at least every evening that I've been there, I've slept on a boat and moored a boat just off that island. And you'll have thousands of, of huge flying foxes. You know, they're almost, the, wings, the wingspan is almost a, a meter across. And there'll be thousands of these uh, flying foxes flying out from that island at night. Um, that, uh, that area is just amazing to explore. And it's famous, obviously, the dragon's famous on Commodore Island. Rincha Island, which I really prefer, feels wilder and um, it's a more, for me, it's a more tense experience trekking on Rincha. But there's a smaller island okay. there called Pada that um, few people, few people seem to know about. In the old days, it was, or old days, let's say 15 years ago, it was a, a favorite stopover for the, for the cruise boats and the liveaboard dive boats. They would stop there and it was a great place for, considered a great place for sunbathing or picnicking because of this, the word was that there were no dragons on Pada Island. And then about two th 2015, I did a story there and I went trekking on Pada Island and I was amazed to see huge dragon tracks trawling along the beach. They love to scavenge along the high tide line. And I came across these hmm. huge tracks. So it's a little sp piece of paradise. Eh? Um, and so the, yeah, the, the story was it's a great place just for sunbathing and you picnic there and don't worry about it because there's no dragons. And 2015, I did a story there, found these huge dragon tracks. And it took quite a bit of asking around before a ranger finally told me that, oh, yeah, you know, we, we did have some dragons. Um, we had some problem dragons on one of the other island, and we relocated them onto Pada. So actually, Pada has a population of, um, yeah, you could say, you know, the biggest repeat defenders in the Commodore world. It's a penal colony for dra Commodore dragons. Um, and that's, yeah, that's now suddenly... You know, a beautiful but a quite a exciting and tense place to trek. But, you know, you, you need to um, probably it's wise to do that with a guide who knows what they're doing because these are super predators and, and we, they're toxic. You know, they, they have venom. So they know that even a small, small bite, uh, you know, without treatment, you'll probably bleed to death. 
So unlike uh, okay. crocodiles and and lions, you know, I feel like there's more tense. I feel more tense trekking in Komodo country than I do virtually anywhere in Africa. And I've walked, you know, among lions. And- so you're in that area. You're doing the dragons. Like, how long do you need there? And then, do you still have time to fly to another island to have a different wildlife experience, or is that the whole three weeks? You could do that in a in a week, and then perhaps from there. If you decided to go back uh, west, you could go to Karinchi Seblat on um, Sumatra. If you wanted to go further over east, then there's a completely unexpected side of uh, Indonesian wildlife. You could go to Wasu National Park, which borders Papua New Guinea, and they call it the Serengeti okay. of Papua. That's really grasslands. Um, yeah, they, they, they liken it to the Serengeti. People liken it to the Serengeti, but... For me, when I landed there, I just couldn't get my head around it that I wasn't in the outback of Australia. And there's a good reason for that. Um, back, you know, in the, in the ice ages, the, the land bridges were open between Australia and Papua. So you still find on Wasa, in Wasa National Park, you still find agile wallabies, cassowaries. There are freshwater crocodiles and saltwater crocodiles there. You, um, you know, the, one of the first things that I stumbled across and when I went walking in Wasa National Park was a kookaburra. And I'm like, well, that's a familiar sound, but I couldn't remember where I knew it from. It certainly wasn't from Indonesia. Um, and there are still communities there who are allowed, um, who have been living there for such a long time. They're still allowed to hunt wa- uh, wallabies with a bow and arrow, you know? And it's an incredible because it's also a wetland for for part of the year anyway, it has um, wonderful bird species. It's one of the best places to see birds in, uh, in Indonesia. There are uh, more than 350 species of birds in Wasa National Park alone. It's just so big. It's so big. I'm getting lost on the Google Maps again. You know, it's hard. <laughs> I, I definitely recommend people go to our website, talktravelasia.com. Mark has kindly agreed to share uh, his Google Map that he made uh, while he was researching his book with us so that we can discover all of these amazing places. I've been trying to keep track on the Google map and there's so many cool places. It's just like, and it almost gives me hope for humanity and like these untouched places, no matter how bad the Western world screws things up, like people will still be living out in these little remote islands and doing their thing for, for a long, long time to come, I, I, I think and hope. Yeah, let's hope so, right? And you know, they'll. People talk about, you know, the world's been explored. There's nowhere new to go. It's, it's all been done. People love to talk about Bali being overcrowded and overdeveloped. Wow. It's like, you know, there's um, 13,466 islands to choose from, just spread out. And, uh, you know, Indonesia has so much adventure. And that was really what I wanted to capture in, in my book, Kapidulu. If, if there's one particular message that it carries, I hope it's that, you know, there's just unbelievable unimaginable scope for adventure in Indonesia that most people don't realize about. Well, as we wind up, Mark, maybe you could just tell our listeners a wee bit more about Kopi Dulu, which recounts your travels across the country. Tell us a bit more about the book and what people can expect. Okay. It's, um, so it's the story of 15,000 kilometers traveling, thereabouts, um, touching on about 50 different islands. I must have, I must have landed on many more than that uh, in the time of in the 25 years I've been traveling in Indonesia, for sure. But focusing on about 50 of the, of the most exciting, let's say. Obviously, I, I touched on some of the famous ones that people know about and some aspects of, uh, of, the, of the rich culture and unexpected wildlife and, and Java, too. I mean, Java has incredible wildlife. 
and yet it's the most populate, densely populated island in the world, or the most populous island in the world anyway. Um, and yet even there, there's okay. wildlife. Um, but I also loved voyaging through the, the incredible tangle of islands out on the, in the east and following a lot in the footsteps of, of my hero, Wallace. You know, People say that uh, the, the, the Malay archipelago is a little bit difficult to get through. I don't agree. I think it's a super interesting book and his love for Indonesia was captured all the way through. Having said that, I think I, um, you know, copy Dulu, I tried to focus on some of the most interesting aspects of Wallace's journeys as well and, and what he found and following in his footsteps. So if you don't want to read um, the Malay Archipelago, then at least go ahead and buy a copy of Copy Dulu and you'll have, may have maybe have heard the best of it. <laughs> Sorry, Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I reckon they're both a good read. And I imagine if you're going on some boat to some remote areas of Indonesia, you better pack a few books with you. So uh, these would be two I would bring on my travels to Indonesia. So thanks again for coming on the show, Mark. We really ought to have you back on again. So um, we'll have uh, our listeners demand it and we'll contact you again sometime down the road. But uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on the show. Perfect. It's been great. Thank you very much for having me. It's uh, been a pleasure. Enjoyed it. Thanks a ton. Inspirational, Mark. Thanks a lot. Take care. Wow. Thank I'm so glad we had Mark back on the show. Uh, he has so much to share about Indonesia. Um, again, we went off on a couple little tangents away from wildlife just because right. there's so many interesting things about all the islands that, yeah, we really should have them on for a third one. What were some of your highlights from today's discussion? I think the highlight was that larger uh, Komodo, Flores, and what was it, Rinca or something, that area. Because I've seen photos of that area out there and the, the, the water's clear, the beaches are incredible. He mentioned a number of other islands. So, you know, in some ways, like, I, I don't care that much about seeing the Komodo dragon, but the fact that they're on other islands around there, I mean, there's a fantastic two-week trip right there, right? That particular area really gets me super jazzed. I also like the idea of the national park in Sumatra. You know, I'd like to get up and see orangutans yeah. and go through some of the mountainous areas up there. When I read his book, um, you know, I got quite excited and intrigued by how he described the mountainous national parks in, in kind of mid-range, uh, the mid-areas of Sumatra. How about you? Yeah, you know, again, I asked about Bukit Luang because I went there, gosh, that was, I don't know, 25 years ago or more. And uh, to see the orangutans, like he mentions like wild orangutans, those are the children of the orangutans that I saw when I was there because <laughs> right. they, they're, you know, they, they were released into the wild and then generations were born in the wild and they become wild. And just trekking around there was, it was so beautiful. And there was wild gibbons and birds you'd never even heard of before and, and you hear them all like chattering in the jungle and spectacular but uh yeah that island off of komodo was called padar island it's got this pink beach it seems like there's all sorts of beaches in this area around uh, komodo called pink beach but like it's pink and it's gorgeous and i don't know about going and walking around looking for wild komodo dragons like that might have appealed more to my younger self but yeah, he definitely gave us a couple of tips, I think, that the Google Maps are going to be super handy for. Like, if you actually do want to go to some of these places, I'd go to where Mark says to go rather than where, you know, some guidebook or travel agency tells me. Yeah, what I found frustrating but also really enjoyed about the conversation was that it's just such a damn big, huge, massive country, right? So he's mentioning places 
And I like travel planning, so it excites me in that I'll have to go back and listen to this, or I'll have to look at our show notes and then look at the Google Maps and just find all these places he mentioned. Like he literally gave 20 trips worth of spots to see that are places you've never, ever heard of. So yeah, there's a ton of travel and gosh, I just wish I was super independently wealthy and could travel for the rest of my life and I'd be off and go see some of these. So yeah, he really provided a a wealth of stuff. And uh, hey, Trevor, I got a question for you. If people enjoyed this episode, they want to hear more, how could they help us do that? Well, we do uh, special patron-only episodes in between our regular episodes, and you can become a patron by going to patreon.com and searching Talk Travel Asia, or going to our website, talktravelasia.com, and clicking on the donate button. Uh, Yeah, we've really gotten into doing some of these uh, patron-only episodes, and uh, yeah, maybe we'll have to do an Indo episode after I convince my parents that's where we're going next month. So by the time you hear this, maybe maybe we got a little secret episode ready for our patrons. Sounds like a great idea. So if you want to get that special in-between stuff, do become a patron. Help us keep it going. Hope you enjoyed this one. Thanks to our patron who suggested this episode. That's really cool. We really appreciate uh, your interest, but recommending something and that we've ticked it off. So until two weeks from now, thanks for listening. Keep dreaming of travel. And we'll be back with something new in two weeks time. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Cambodia?